Welcome back to Base Slayer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Sam Bankman-Fried from FTX. Sam is the CEO of FTX, a crypto derivatives platform and exchange that a lot of people have been paying attention to. Currently, there are many problems plaguing the top future exchanges, clawbacks, broken liquidation systems, poorly designed products, and margin wallets. As it relates to clawbacks, FTX re- significantly reduces the likelihood of clawbacks from ever occurring by using a three-tiered liquidation model. Sam and I talk about that. We also talk that FTX is an exchange, a market maker, and a product creator, and what the inspiration was to tackle all three of those verticals. We also talk about one of something that's very interesting that has been uh, on people's minds and people have been talking a lot about, especially with the 2020 election. There is a futures market on FTX, the presidential election futures tokens. So people are effectively uh, looking at Trump and Bloomberg and Warren and Bernie Sanders. And so it's kind of different than what you would see from Augur and the prediction markets. We talked about how that happens too. And then we also talked about their relationship with Binance. And as uh, the news reported over the last few days too, uh, FTX is in a raise right now uh, at a unicorn status. We didn't talk about that, but we did talk about the Binance relationship and how that all works out. And so there's a lot here. So please remember, nothing on Layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Layer. I have Sam Backman-Fried with me today, the CEO of FTX. Sam, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing great. Really, I'm looking forward to this conversation. FTX is a derivative exchange uh, that has been catching the attention of a lot of the capital markets players in digital assets. Sam has a extensive background, and I love the fact, again, as I've said time and time again, traditional finance people coming over to the digital asset side, the crypto side. So we're going to talk about uh, Sam's past and what he did before FTX, and then we're going to talk about what FTX does and how it's differentiating. We're going to talk about certain things like the Trump token uh, and other things that are being created uh, vis-a-vis FTX, which are really, really cool. Uh, so if you could, Sam, before we get into all the uh, nuts and bolts of FTX. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you were at Jane Street for a number of years, uh, which is a uh, institution that I think a lot of traditional finance people know and know well. What we'd like to do is not necessarily hone in on the when Bitcoin moment, but what about the overall landscape? What about distributed and decentralized systems? What about this whole emerging asset class really got you excited if, if there is one specific thing? Yeah. So, you know, sort of the, the true answer is the first thing that got me into crypto was was looking at the financial aspect and the trading. Um, you know, it's sort of shortly after I, I left Jane Street and I was looking at CoinMarketCap and sort of looking at the different prices of, you know, Bitcoin, different exchanges and like, oh boy, those are pretty different. Um, and and sort of jumped in to see whether these, you know, the, the arbitrages there were real. Um, but, you know, certainly over the time that, that I spent in crypto, I've learned a lot more, you know, certainly I've learned a ton about how, you know, moving crypto around works and how, how blockchain works. But I've also learned a lot about how the traditional financial system works 
and a whole lot of things that are sort of abstracted away from most people, at least most people in America, which is sort of you know where I was. And one thing which I definitely didn't realize is sort of the mess behind the scenes of of moving money around. Um, and uh, and you know probably day to day, especially if if you're in the states, you know most of what you're doing, you just pay for things with a credit card and you don't really think about it. Um, but as soon as someone asks you to send a wire transfer, it's a total nightmare, and your bank might not even support it online. There are tiny limits. Uh, there's all these different types of transfers uh, that take forever. And and you know the the thing that actually made me realize this the first time was that you know while trading crypto, uh, we needed to wire money to exchanges and from exchanges, and that turned out to often to be the hardest part of of a trade was was the part that wasn't the crypto. Right. So let's talk about what FTX is. So from the outside in, if you were talking to someone, and I'm sure you have before, that comes from traditional finance, that comes from an a institutional investment shop, it comes from a family office. How would you describe FTX in about a minute? Yeah. So, you know, it's a cryptocurrency derivatives exchange. It's a place where you can trade, you know, futures and options on the top uh the top coins and tokens. And I think sort of the big thing that sets it apart from other cryptocurrency exchanges is that sort of the, the contract design is much more in line with how you know traditional financial futures look. Um, it removes a lot of the pretty uh, non-user friendly parts of a lot of the other crypto derivatives exchanges. It's flexible on what you post as margin. It uses sort of normal linear futures. Um, you cross margin everything together, so you don't have to like separately margin off each position from each other. Um, and it's starting to develop a lot of uh, you know some some pretty novel financial tools and a lot that are sort of, uh, you know, taken from the traditional financial realm, you know, mm-hmm. everything from looking at, you know, futures and options to tokenized funds, straddles, and and sort of much more coming on the horizon. So let's talk about this. So currently there are, and this is coming from you, there are problems plaguing the top future exchanges, clawbacks, broken liquidation systems, poorly designed products, and margin wallets. As it relates to clawbacks, FTX significantly reduces the likelihood of clawbacks from ever occurring by using a three-tiered liquidation model. If you could give us uh, a breakdown of that, how it works, and then also, in addition to that, you mentioned universal margin wallets. And so I imagine that's supporting or that's supported by stable coins. So which ones do you do? So talk about the, the clawbacks, broken liquidation systems, the poorly designed products, the three-tier model, uh, three-tiered liquidation model, and the idea of the universal margin wallet with stable coins. Yeah. So, you know, one of the biggest problems with crypto derivatives uh, was clawbacks. And, and a clawback is basically when some user on the site goes beyond bankrupt. So, you know, they had some leveraged position on, markets move a lot, their account ends up underwater. And unlike sort of normal finance, where what you usually like call the guy up and you're like, hey, you got to like wire us more money. In crypto, sort of the norm is, is no, they, they get to walk away now. And now there's this hole. There's this negative value account, and someone has to fund it. And I, uh, you know, if you had a big problem with this, eventually I, it was the users that got stuck with this. And so over, you know, 2018, there are hundreds of millions of dollars of user funds lost to funding other people's bankruptcies. Um, and and basically, the reason this happened was exchanges their risk controls weren't very good. Uh, you know, there, there are sort of a lot of w- ways to look at it, but one of the core things is they just choose bad parameters and just let people get too big of a position on with too much leverage and not enough collateral. And when markets did start moving against them, they were sort of incompetent at actually getting the liquidations that they needed to done. 
So what FTX does is, uh, I mean, first of all, we just sort of, you know, thought carefully about all the parameters to make sure that uh, we're sort of, you know, asking for reasonable amounts of margin. Um, but beyond that, we have this three-tiered system. And so what that means is, uh, you know, let's say that you put on some leverage position and, uh, uh, you know, so, so let's say you're, you know, you're really long Bitcoin futures and Bitcoin starts going down. So your position is, is losing. Um, and, you know, you got 10x leveraged. So if Bitcoin moves down 10%, uh, you're going to be bankrupt. Um, what FTX will do is first, um, it will uh, start to, uh, and you know, first off, obviously, it stops you from putting on a bigger, bigger position. But um, you know, after that, uh, it'll start to sort of slowly sell out your position on the exchange. And it'll make sure not to do this too quickly because the sort of disaster scenarios you're worried about are that by trying to liquidate this way too aggressively, you end up actually just causing an even bigger downward movement in market and, and you just get this death spiral. So first of all, X will sort of unaggressively try and liquidate them in the market um, and, and hope that, that that does it. And, and you know, almost always it does. Um, occasionally it doesn't. Occasionally markets are moving too fast and the position is starting to get close to bankruptcy. Um, and when it gets too close to bankruptcy, uh, we move on to stage two, which we call the backstop liquidity provider stage. And basically what that means is that we have a bunch of liquidity providers sitting around um, who have sort of uh, you know, uh, agreed to take on uh, endangered positions. And so then we'll just sort of transfer that position wholesale to the liquidity providers. And then, you know, it's sort of their job to figure out how to work out of that risk. And, you know, if, if there's sort of no way to work out of it on FTX in time, which often might be the case if you're getting, you know, to this sort of danger zone in the first place, then, you know, often these liquidity providers will be firms that can figure out how to hedge this position on other venues. And so it's a way to sort of, you know, move the the failing positions over to people who know how to hedge wherever they can find liquidity, um, rather than uh, than trying to sell off something that's not going to work on FTX. So that's sort of stage two, um, and then uh, you know there is stage three, which is uh, which is basically auto deleveraging, um, and uh, using an insurance fund to cover up any of the gaps. Um, and, and, you know, this happens if basically uh, positions go so far underwater that even by the time we can pass it off to the backstop liquidity providers, you know, they're already beyond bankrupt. Um, and, you know, using this system, FTX has never had a clawback. Um, we've never given someone a sort of negative value position um, because, you know, it's basically proactive about liquidating when it has to. It does so in sort of a reasonable, controlled way. And that has the liquidity buyers, you know, ready to take over the positions uh, if sort of all else fails. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's sort of FTX's system for it. Um, and I think the key difference is, you know, uh, some some of it honestly is just like doing things in, like intelligently. Like some of this is is just some exchanges are like really really bad at executing the liquidations. They just like place a gigantic offer and hope someone lifts it, and no one lifts it, and they're just mm -hmm. kind of screwed. Um, but but some of this also is the backstop liquidity for our system is really a key piece of this um, because it means that sort of if all else fails, there's there's this liquidity pool ready to provide to liquidations. So, um, so, so that's sort of, you know, outlining how FTX handles uh, handles risk and, and, you know, the ways that it tries to prevent what we've seen happen to some other venues. It sounds familiar, you know. You and I both came from traditional finance. I've been in this for about 20 years, so I'm not trying to date myself. But it sounds like the idea of the bad bank, kind of removing the systemic risk away. 
Exactly. And finding, you know, whether it's another bank to absorb it or, or some other, you know, somehow you find someone to take over the bad bank. And, and the key thing is you have to do that so that like the bank's customers don't get screwed or the other banks that had been lending money to that bank or things like that. Um, and obviously there are some products like, you know, bonds where it's expected that you're taking on risk by doing that. Like you're explicitly getting paid for taking on the risk that you're lending to a bad bank. And yeah, those might go under, but there's other things that, that you don't think of like that, right? Like you just put your money in some bank and then that bank separately was loaning money to another bank. You don't feel like you should get screwed if that other bank goes under. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's exactly that, you know, finding the endangered assets and finding people ready to kind of take them over. Um, and, and that was sort of a lot of what, uh, you know, Theo was trying to and ultimately basically succeeded at doing mm-hmm. in the, you know, 2008 financial crash. Obviously it was, it was a terrible crash, but, but it could have been a whole lot worse. I think right. that, you know, sort of the moral, one of the morals obviously is really bad. We got in that position, but, but another moral of the story is actually like, there are a lot of emergency measures to save the day and they kind of worked. Like they right. kind of averted the catastrophic things that people were worried about. So let me ask you, you know, I'm thinking about this outside the box and this is not something that we necessarily prepared for, but I had heard for months and months and months that there was effectively CDS that was coming into the market. And so I'm hearing that there are obviously, you know, people that are taking 10X, you know, and there are other providers, not you, but other providers that are providing even a hundred times leverage. As a trader, you know, someone who's been in the market, you know, I would say, you know, there has to be CDS in the market right now, or there has to be some sort of synthetic that's betting against those, those specific assets that are going to go under. Is that true or not? So there isn't, uh, basically, no. Uh, I mean, there, there may be some around the fringes, but basically all of this right now is sort of centralized by exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of one interesting thing in crypto is that exchanges play a many-part role. Unlike in traditional finance, what is nice, and it's basically a place where you buy and sell Apple. That's what you do there. Mm-hmm. And if you want to like, you know, get a loan or you want to like design a new product or you wanted to uh, think about, you know, uh, attractive retail flow or uh, or sort of all of these other things or, or, or you know, building uh, general financial infrastructure, you wouldn't go to NYSE. You'd go to, you know, Goldman or or, or, some, or maybe a Jane Street or some other place, depending on what, what you're looking at. But in crypto, uh, exchanges really perform a number of different functions. You know, they're the match engine, but they're also, uh, you know, the place that holds user funds. Um, they're also the places that are designing products. They're also the places that are managing risk. They're also the places that are sort of managing customer outreach for basically all the products in the space. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you know, a lot of things that, that would sort of, uh, you know, a lot of this basically just gets done internally by exchanges. Right. And so you see things like insurance funds and auto deleveraging clawbacks and stuff like that popping up, mm-hmm. all very exchange specific. Um, and, and you're sort of relying, you know, you can't sort of abstract those away from the exchange. So I see FTX as an exchange, a market maker, and a product creator, and we'll talk more about that later. What was the inspiration to tackle all three of those verticals, and how difficult is it? So I believe FTT is the backbone of the FTS ecosystem, and so can you also discuss that? Yeah, definitely. So I, you know, I think that this sort of came step by step, and a key part of this was well, there are a few key parts. One was that you know obviously I sort of came from Wall Street. A bunch of us have 
have experience, uh, you know, from trading and that meant that when it came to product design, we sort of came in with a lot of ideas. You know, we, we weren't necessarily starting from scratch. Um, and that was sort of one of our strengths. Um, but, but another key piece of this is that, you know, before starting FTX, I was running Alameda, which is a, a crypto market maker. And, um, that, that meant a number of things. One of which was that, you know, really we got a, a sort of up close and personal look at exactly how the exchanges, you know, service the highest volume clients in particular. And, uh, you know, had, um, you know, had just a ton of experiences using them and getting to know what are the ways they work well, what are the ways they can be improved, and what are things we can do to sort of combine the best parts of them with, uh, you know, with with sort of traditional financial exchanges. So, you know, we sort of already came in with a bunch of thoughts about how to build this. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've, I, and most, many others on the team have sort of, uh, you know, a previous career of interacting with structured products. And so, you know, when thinking about derivatives and structured product design, that's also just something we had a lot of thoughts and experience with going in. Um, and so that was sort of, you know, almost the easiest part for it, um, you know, uh, of it for us. Um, and, you know, building the exchange was something that we did partially because it's, it's sort of a good business to be in in crypto right now, partially because we'd had a lot of experience with it and so sort of had a lot of thoughts on how to do it. And partially also because it was so hard to build a lot of the infrastructure without an exchange in crypto, because so much of it happens within the exchanges, as opposed to being a bunch of different companies sort of gathering together that, you know, it's if you don't have an exchange like and you build structured products, you know, half of your time is spent trying to get exchanges to adopt them, um, maybe more than half. And so it's just a huge advantage to be sort of integrating that, you know, with the exchange. And then on the liquidity providing side, you know, FTX itself doesn't do the liquidity buying, but Alameda Research, which is a you know quantitative training firm that um, that is you know running, uh, is is one of the biggest liquidity providers in crypto. And so, and that that had already been running for a while. And so that also meant that you know on day one, um, you know, FTX was able to be uh, you know sort of the most liquid uh, exchange in crypto. Um, not not for free. It's taken a lot of work on Alameda's part to be able to have, you know, 24-7 uptime and a bunch of other things to make sure that, like, the liquidity is always there. Um, but but it's, it's made that a lot easier. Got it. Yeah, interesting. As it relates to, again, going back to traditional finance, when 0809 happened and then you had a slew of regulation come in, you know, Vockler and some of the other regulations about separation of church and state effectively with proprietary trading firms and with other institutions having prop trading sides that had to get dissolved. It's really interesting the innovation that's happening within digital assets. And so I think people need to become more aware of the things that are happening on that side. So. One of the things that I really wanted to talk about is this idea of this new futures market on FTX, the presidential election futures token. Uh, tell us more about how that came about and how it differs from, say, some of the other prediction markets, for instance, Augur. Yeah. So, uh, you know, where it came about was basically, you know, obviously at its core, FTX is, is sort of, a, you know, crypto derivatives exchange. But if you look at what's what's sort of the technology there, What's the the real product behind it? And you know, it's it's a matching engine, a risk engine, a derivatives engine, and sort of has deposits and withdrawals and collateral. Um, and that's sort of basically all the pieces that you need to put together to make a, a prediction market. Um, you know, it's basically just the same underlying uh, structure as an exchange. And so it you know made it a lot easier for us to launch that because we kind of already had all the technology just ready to go. 
And so from, from a tech standpoint, it wasn't that much harder than just, you know, listing futures on another coin. Um, except, you know, instead of expiring to, you know, the market price of, uh, you know, EOS on some day, this is expiring to, you know, one if Trump wins and zero if he doesn't. Um, and, and so, uh, so that, that sort of made it a lot easier. And then what we were thinking about was like, what do people want to trade? You know, you talk to people and, and you say like, what do people have strong opinions on? What do they want to find a way to express those opinions on? Um, obviously, you know, stocks are so an obvious example. Crypto is, is a big one, but the 2020 presidential election is sort of up there, you know, with things people have strong opinions on that they want to want to find a way to uh, to put their money where their mouth is. Um, and uh, a lot of the current products in that space, they all have their issues. So, you know, Augur, which is one example you brought up, um, you know, we sort of haven't seen a ton of success from from. Uh, decentralization from from like you know DeFi to to be frank in crypto it's there's a lot of promise but there's been a lot of missteps obviously we've had some super high profile ones last week mm -hmm. um, but but Augur if if you really tried to scale it up um, would be vulnerable to a lot of the same things and I think that you look at you know with the uh, the sort of various you know DeFi lending based attacks that you've seen in the last week a lot of the problems are traced back to this notion of an oracle mm -hmm. that in order to do anything other than move something on a blockchain, in order to do anything more complicated like margin and lending and liquidations and stuff, uh, you need to have outside data sources. And the only outside data sources that sort of are really on a blockchain are DEXs. And DEXs are super illiquid, which was sort of the problem there. But now you look at Augur, like what's its oracle? You know, how does it, how does it actually settle contracts? And you can sort of trace through a lot of the logic and there, there are some big issues. Uh, you had some really interesting but nasty game theory, which is not what you want to be talking about when you're talking about how to sell a, a Trump contract. You want to be talking about, like, did Trump win the presidential election? Not, like, what are the incentives of all of these different players who are voting mm -hmm. on whether Trump had, in fact, won? Right. Um, um, and, and because of that, and because of all the issues that you see with, with like, lack of liquidity and, and scale and speed in, in, in DeFi... Um, you know, I think Augur's had a lot of trouble scaling up. And then you look at sort of some of the non-crypto solutions to this. And first of all, fees are huge. I mean, we're talking like 5% fees, uh, you know, 5 percentage point mm -hmm. fees on, you know, places like Predicted and Betfair. Um, and uh, it's super hard to get funds in and out. You know, crypto is a really nice solution to that. Um, and, uh, they, you know, we sort of had an existing user base. It was a good avenue into a new one. Um, and so for a lot of reasons, it just seemed like a pretty natural uh, product to try launching. Does it lend itself to other product launches aside from the election token? Is there anything else that might be in the horizon? Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we have a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty active internal discussions right now about what, what to try next. I think we've been pretty happy with this. So I think we're going to try something else. Um, and, uh, you know, you could sort of, the obvious things to look at would be, you know, uh, major sporting events, major world of geopolitical events, you know, this, mm -hmm. the election obviously being one of them, um, and uh, and sort of a bunch of other random one-off things. So we're sort of mulling internally what we think is going to have the most traction and be the thing that, that people are most excited about. But I would say certainly sometime in the next couple of months, you can expect us to be launching something else. Is there a user interaction on that? Do you reach out to users and to people that might be using FTX to kind of get ideas, engage that? Because I think that would be interesting. 
yeah, we definitely do. So I, I'll periodically tweet out polls about uh, you know, what what users want to see. We'll ask in our Telegram group. We'll send out surveys, you know, to registered users, um, and and sort of everything we're doing in English, we're we're simultaneously doing in other languages as well. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, WeChat uh, groups where we'll we'll uh, send out Chinese language polls, um, and and we'll sort of collect those results. And so so we did that on, on you know what what would people be interested in seeing next? And interestingly, uh, sort of across the world, uh, one of the most popular suggestions was the NBA Finals. So. You know, I don't know if we're going to do it, but it's it's certainly something that we're going to be uh, strongly considering. Awesome. So let's talk the last bit about the news from late 2019. Crypto exchange Colossus Binance has invested an undisclosed amount of money in derivatives platform FTX as a part of a strategic partnership between the two firms. So obviously, without going to the specifics of the deal, how is FTX and Binance working together? Yeah, so there's a lot of areas for collaboration, and I think we've seen a few of those unfolding. So, you know, FTT was listed there, um, you know, right where you around when this was announced. Um, and uh, but you know, after that, leverage tokens were listed there over the last month or so. And those have been a pretty big success, and they're now trading something like fifty million dollars a day collectively on Binance, um, which we're pretty excited about. And it's a great way; they're basically tokenized leverage positions on FTX. Um, and it sort of is a great way for us to be able to offer FTX's futures and liquidities anywhere that can support, you know, ERC twenty or or BEP two tokens. Um, and so, you know, super excited about that. Um, you know, we, we're working with Binance on a number of other fronts, including you know OTC trading, liquidity, Binance US, and other places. Um, and uh, and sort of going forward, we have a lot of sort of further steps in this, uh, you know, in that general vein that we're going to be looking at. And so, I think. You know, we're optimistic that we're going to be able to, to collaborate on sort of other tokenized products uh, going forward. Great. And so, as we're wrapping, the things that we like to do at the end of the show is getting a little bit into your mind, mind share. And so, as everyone knows, I like to ask two things: anything that you've read recently, books that can be crypto, non-crypto related. It could be anything out there. Anything that you've read recently that really was awe-inspiring, that resonated, that you told your friends and family about, and then any music that you listen to. Yeah, so you know, music that I listen to, uh, I, I'm I'm sort of partial to trashy pop myself, um, and so uh, you know, I, I think I'll often do it to sort of like pump myself up, and you know, and you know, whether I'm sort of just pacing around thinking, or or you know, plugging away at something, or or out jogging, I'll I'll often put on uh, you know, Katy Perry or, or Taylor Swift, um, and uh, and I think that's that's sort of my go-to as far as music is concerned. Um, uh, in terms of reading, uh, I tend not to so, sort of read one very long thing. I, I tend to read just a bunch of short things instead. So I do, I consume a ton of, uh, you know, of, of news, of opinions, blogs, and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, recently a lot of it's sort of boringly been work focused. So, you know, read a lot of quick takes on the, the DeFi meltdown recently been, you know, reading a lot on uh, what's happened to other exchanges. That that's obviously something which is like pretty relevant to me right now. And so, you know, uh, there's uh, you know various pieces written on the F coin meltdown, which is sort of interesting recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and is sort of a really interesting window into something that we saw from the outside without context before of like this sort of weird 
pop-up exchanges doing a ton of fake volume, but also some real volume. And you know these exchange tokens that made no sense going, you know, rocketing up and then crashing down, and and sort of there's never clear what the business model was, and this you know sort of sheds a lot of light on what was going on, you know, in the background. Um, and uh, I, so, you know, I, I think like right now, sort of the unfortunate answer um, is that most of what I'm reading is is just sort of you know work related materials. It's it's understandable. <laughs> um, the last thing that we'd like to do is where can people who are listening find out more about FTX? How can they get involved? How can they start using it? Who can they reach out to? Yeah, so I mean, easy thing. Go to FTX.com. Uh, you can create an account. Um, it'll be pretty quick. And, uh, you know, in terms of talking to us, reaching out, we have a Telegram group, uh, which you can find a link to on, on FTX.com, which is pretty active. And we have sort of admins, you know, reading 24-7, and I spend a fair bit of time uh, in there as well. Um, you can follow me on Twitter um, at, you know, SBF underscore Alameda. Um, it's also linked from, uh, you know, from FTX. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that's sort of the easiest way to, uh, to, to get involved. Awesome. So this was Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, the CEO of FTX. Again, a derivatives exchange that has been been talked about a lot. A lot of people are talking about this uh, Trump coin, as I mentioned, and uh, a lot of people are interested in some of the use cases of some of the things we're talking about, as we t- alluded to about the clawbacks and about the liquidation models and the stable coin use in the wallets. So check them out and reach out to Sam and the team. And Sam, hopefully we'll have you back on towards the end of the year and see how things are progressing. Thanks for coming on. Sounds great. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.